Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, final hours here on the Wednesday edition. Hot Mike with Honey Withrow across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Coming up in a matter of minutes, Jim Nagy will join us, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Scouts College Football will get the very latest. Uh, his thoughts on Bo Nix, who is, I believe, their Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, Lad McConkey as well. And uh, Bama LSU. I believe, is the, the big game for them this weekend for uh, the Senior Bowl. Chad, uh, we hit some of the headlines earlier with uh, college football playoff rankings being announced uh, last night for the, the, the first version as it stands now. Uh, the other big headline is with, again, with Michigan, with Connor Stallions, and uh, the digging that continues through the media, most recently with uh, Josh Pate, host of Late Kick with Josh Pate, and... The image, the video from the sideline, same game, Central Michigan uh, taking on Michigan State September 1st of this season. And the blinking light, the blue light on the sunglasses that we were pointing to yesterday in the image of the person believed to be Connor Stallions decked out in Central Michigan gear on the sideline, carrying a clipboard, it's an Adidas school. He's wearing Nike shoes, but he's decked out in all things CMU. And there's a blinking blue light on the sunglasses that appears to be the $300 Ray-Bans that can record. Um, what did you think when you saw this? I mean, I immediately thought, that tracks, given what we already know about this whole deal. And uh, uh, right away, people were saying, uh, I'm thinking, this sounds like a Mission Impossible plot. <laughs> But, oh, he's wearing sunglasses. You know there are sunglasses that can record from inside. That's probably why he's wearing the sunglasses at night. And then we get this image of him with the blue light. Look, I, I know we had Clay on, and he's like, ah, nothing's going to happen, no big deal. You know, the NCAA just – I get it from Michigan's perspective. Play the Auburn playbook. Just deny, deny, deny. Ride out this great season. Try to win a national title, just like Auburn did in 2010 – and then hope it all goes away right. eventually. I also believe this is very easy to prove. Clay said, it's not what you think, it's what you can prove. This seems very simple to prove. The tickets purchased, the video evidence, the, the photos we have now of Connor Stallions. So now, and the lack I, of denial with this regard. I think in Clay this is case. starting to form the defense of Michigan. What did Clay bring up with us that I thought was fascinating? How rogue was this guy? This guy may have just been living a fantasy world where he was assigned to do one thing, but no. he was out doing another. It's, a, it's not rogue at all because... Oh, I, what, I, I, I believe know, you. I know. But, but I'm saying that's what Clay's saying. is, oh, I want to know what he's doing on his own and what well, Michigan's saying. That sounds like something that a Michigan fan or someone at Michigan, that would be their defense, right? Well, that's going to be hard. That he defense. went rogue. He, he didn't know anything about this. Right. Doesn't condone it. But Jim McElwain is even saying he didn't know who this dude was. In Central Michigan gear on his sideline. If there's actual, if there's actual hard drive evidence, 
that we believe this law firm has or any type of cell phone proof that went on, this is going to be very easy to prove with communication back and forth on what they were gathering. There is, Chad, there's absolutely no way that he was there without, without anyone knowing who this guy was. Uh, I'm saying that through the lens of he's in team gear. Yeah. Right? Like, he was issued this. So there, there's no way that Jim McElwain's acting like we're, we're looking into this. You know, they're, they're no further comment until we figure out, we'll get to the bottom of this. We don't condone this at all. Whatever. Does the NCAA immediately go to Central Michigan and start investigating also well, when I mean, they get this information? I mean, <laughs> right? I mean they, they, should. they should already be doing that given the fact that Michigan State knew about it and has been in communication about this report for the last several weeks. Right? Like yeah. that that should already be taking place. There's also for the NCAA purposes, there's a shocking lack of information coming out. They're doing a pretty good job of plugging any leaks on either how cooperative or uncooperative right. Michigan staff was when they came to town to interview them about this. We're not getting any info about that. I found that part of it to be interesting that we're not the information at least today has dried up a bit. There's no more photos out. There's no video footage. There's no other reports about what the NCAA is learning or how difficult Michigan has been throughout this process or, or whatever. Um, we've seen different approaches in different times with schools and how they accept or reject the NCAA in an investigation. This just seems very cut and dry right now. Based on what you. we've seen and the evidence out there, it's very clear that he was many times over illegally scouting off-site for Michigan. Now, how far does this go? That, that's what I want to know now. That's It went to Central Michigan in a game against Michigan State, and he's on the sideline this right year, there. This year. This season. How far back does it go? What, three years, right? And not just how many Michigan opponents were affected. That's how, many, how they go back in the tickets. How many possible Michigan opponents in a college football playoff were affected? How many rivals that would benefit Michigan when they lose. How many of them were negatively affected, even when they weren't playing Michigan? A lot of questions still to be answered. Central Michigan ends up, of course, losing this game in the season opener. It's 7-6 right before halftime, and it ends up being 31-6, I believe, the score Yeah. at the end of the game. Uh, Michigan State wins big at the end. Uh, who's on the sideline? It appears to be Connor Stallions. No one's denying that, as Chad has pointed out. Um, Jim McElwain, though, saying that he doesn't know who that is. Farther, uh, we've obviously are aware of a picture floating around to, with the the uh, the sign stealer guy. Um, you know, our people are doing everything they can to get to the bottom of it. Uh, we're unaware, totally unaware of it. Uh, I certainly don't condone it. Uh, in any way, shape, or form. And, uh, you know, I do know that his name was on none of the passes that were let out. Um, now we just keep tracing it back and tracing it back and try to figure it out. But it's in good hands with our people. Um, and, again, uh, you know, there, there's, there's no place in football for that. Sign stealer guy. I love how Jim McElwain referred to Connor Stallions. That sign stealer guy. Um, 
We had no idea. We were completely unaware of it. I just, I, I can't buy that. That no one understabbed it. When you say we, now you could say I, and I would buy it as the head coach. Maybe you didn't know. I didn't know anything about it. His name wasn't on a pass. We got to get to the bottom of it. But when you say we were completely unaware of that, we're completely unaware. Hutton, I don't, I just can't believe that. Well, this that would, no one on their staff knew Connor Stallions and knew exactly what he was there to do. This would be the first like hard evidence violation of that rule, what the, the a rule eleven point six or whatever it is about the off campus in person scouting of a future opponent in Michigan State. Um, it, it's the the other part is with McElwain, that's just so dumb. I, we're looking into the, the sign stealer guy. We we do know that his name wasn't on any pass. What I do know is he's wearing your gear yeah. on the sideline. That's the difference between some random uh, you know, pass that just has VS for visitor sideline on it that gives you access from the 30 to the end zone on both sides of the visitor's bench. Uh, that's the difference between the media member that passes it off to get a producer on the field to help with something that uh, you have to run batteries onto the field for a microphone, whatever it might be. I've seen passes... Over the years, Chad. Handed off. Yeah, yeah. not handed off, but there there are open passes that are given to credentialed media or uh, production staff to give them field access if needed. There's a number of passes to keep the the number at a very specific amount of who who could be on the sideline at any, any given time, but it's not like every single pass has a name on it. What I do know is if... I had to go and, and have a producer come out and bring something new or my mic broke or whatever it might be. What I do know is I'm not wearing team gear issued by some coach or uh, uh, some uh, analyst that I'm buddies with and I'm on the opposing sideline bench while wearing sunglasses with a blinking light on them and carrying a clipboard and standing close to the guy who's calling plays. Yeah, Signaling is- calls. Does anyone believe this is isolated too? That this was a one-time thing, right? That he got on a sideline. I, I don't. I don't think it was just for Central Michigan, Michigan State that this happened. Timing was good for him. I get that. You know, no Michigan game uh, that night. They're playing the next day, so he can hop on over to a game in state and, and do this. It's just. I, I think it's really bad. I don't think I'm overblowing it. I think especially just the part of the calculated effort with a staff member and all the links they went to to gather intel on a sign-stealing operation, that's one part of it. But trying to affect other teams that's not involved in your game is far beyond that. And Michigan's going to need to pay for this and I think the only way they pay is to be taken out of the college football playoff race this year. And Hutton, I don't see that happening. I don't see anyone stepping in and doing that. So that's why uh, the opponents can't step out of the schedule against Michigan. Because that is, if you're, if you're for the idea of Michigan not being in the playoff, you need the ability to knock them out of the playoff. Ohio State gives you that option. So while you, Ohio State would swing a big stick if they going back to our conversation yesterday, Chad, about, you know, just someone step up and say, no, I'm not going to uh, play or, or be for this. Um, we're, we're sitting, we're sitting out. I don't want to see that because what I really want to see is I want to see the Wolverines fall. That's asking a, a, a lot given the way they've been dominant, but 
also asked. Yeah, there could be some field justice in there this. There could be. Or someone just beats them one and loss takes Michigan care of at three. Do they fall to five? And again, it, a lot has to happen between now and early December, and we'll see wins and losses along the way. But it doesn't feel like Michigan's, Michigan's going to be one of those, um, unless it's Ohio State. I, I asked you like initial reaction when you saw the light on the on the glasses. I'm thinking at what point that because now just evidence continues to stack. At what point do those that are just like ah, it's really not that big of a deal does this sentiment flip to okay jim harbaugh answer for this jim McElwain, give a better answer than i don't know who that is paul feinbaum went on uh he went on a get up and here's the quote he calls it inexcusable that the big 10 hasn't punished michigan and jim harbaugh the quote Two weeks ago, I sat here with you and made the biggest mistake of my professional career. I gave Jim Harbaugh the benefit of the doubt. Never again. This is a disgusting story with every revelation which happens every single day of the week. And the fact that the Big Ten has not done anything yet is inexcusable. And I, I point to what we've said in the past and what we continue to say. It is a revelation every single day. And so what is going to be there tomorrow? It's going to continue to stack against them where you can't defend it. I, I think for that to happen, first off, we got to know exactly what they have in their possession. That's the damning evidence on him. We've seen most of it, so it's there. This is a pretty open and shut case at this point from what we've even seen. But present them all the – and they've got more than this. Present them all the evidence, all the information. Michigan's going to have no response to it other than to – try to placate the investigators until the end of the season and continue on with their hopeful national championship this year. Hutton, it's going to take the teams, every school president, AD, and the Big Ten to step up and just make some bold proclamation that, hey, it's 13 against one, and you may want to sue us, you may do this, that, whatever. It's all 13 against you. They all agree with this. It is unanimous. You're done. You're not eligible for a Big Ten championship. Therefore, you're not eligible for the college football playoff. And maybe if if coaches and teams and schools come forward and say, that's what we want, and the Big Ten says, tough, that's not what we're going to do, maybe it takes the remaining Big Ten teams and their schedule to get together and say, okay, we're not playing the game then. So deal with that fallout. Well, they would still end up going. And, that, and that's when, that's when Petiti would say, he could easily just say, yeah, well, well we got a scandal on our hands now, but – you're just giving Michigan the title. The other thing is now they're going to win by forfeit. The other question I have is if there's, it, there seems like there's more information that people know about behind the scenes, obviously, right? Why is it being held? Why is it not out there? What, what took so long with, with Connor Stallions on the sideline at Central Michigan? If Michigan State knew about this and had been in communication behind the scenes, quiet about it. If you're that pissed off about it, why are you? Quiet right now about things. Yeah, who, if, if you the, the if law you, firm that turned it over, if you know they more could info. leak information. Yeah, if right. you have more info and you know about it, that's a good question because it, it feels like the NCAA, certainly Michigan, Michigan State, uh, uh, future opponents, they would know about this. Ohio State had video from the local news station in Columbus last year. We know he's on the sideline, peering over, getting signals, and then signaling the offense or defense. In that game, what took so long? That's the bizarre thing, too, with it. 
Well, I, I don't. I'm not going to speculate about what took so long. It may have taken this long to get all of the evidence they needed to have a, just an insurmountable amount of it to where they knew it was sure. l- yeah. loaded, ready to go. But I'm and saying if there's, hit more, if there's more detail, season. more depth to it now that people know that continues continues to leak out day by day is what yeah, I'm saying. I, I think what has to first happen is let's stop asking questions about every victim of Michigan's cheating and what they should have done or could have done and continue to keep the focus where it should be on Michigan. Yeah. Because I, I, I heard Clay say this, and I've heard others. Well, if TCU did it, someone on the YouTube chat right now, TCU was able to trick them. Why didn't everyone else? If they knew? I don't know who all knew about it, right? There's Tennessee and Clemson in question. I don't know for sure they knew anything about this. If other Big Ten schools knew about it or they were alerted to it or if they changed their signals or, or whatever. So let's keep it on the perpetrator that violated the rules and not, well, this team should have done that and this team should have done that and they're dumb for not doing it. No. This is a Michigan story right now. It's also a Central Michigan story, and it could be a story about other programs as well. Michigan helping out other programs. Other programs helped TCU last year in the college football playoff. Michael McHenry next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, uh, our next guest, Michael McHenry, The Fort. What question did you ask me earlier about whether or not Fort could uh, help you with some motivation to watch the World Series? Yeah, I was going to see if he could get me to watch my first inning of this World Series tonight. But then I realized I'll tune in if the Rangers are about to win it all. Because I like to see the celebration. So I'll tune in late if the Rangers are in position to win. Michael McHenry joins us. How much of the World Series uh, have you been tuned in for, Fort? I can't hear you guys. Oh, okay. You can't hear us. So we'll not uh, sure what's going on. Can't hear you guys this, at all. Uh, okay, one second. Oh, there you are. There we are. There you are. Uh, now back. we've got you uh, loud and clear. Let there be noise. Thank you, yes. guys. Uh, how much of the World Series have you watched so far? I watched quite a bit, and and I'm going to go back to what you said, Hut. And it has been a weird World Series. It, it's been kind of all over the place for me, so it's very tough, even as an analyst and a former player, to watch it, but. I think it's what's great about the game. I mean, you see all the stuff that's been going on. I mean, Scherzer goes down with his back. You see Garcia, who's probably having the best postseason 
that I can remember in my 38 years on this planet. He goes down with an oblique, and once again, Texas just continues to step up. And when guys go down, they showed it all year long. When guys go down, they pick up the slack. When their uh, shortstop Seager went down, Garcia had the best month in, in Major League Baseball uh, this entire season. Just guys seem to step up on that team. That's what winning teams do. So I had to look in between the lines a little bit, but I've really enjoyed the series, even though it's very different for me. Well, And, and ultimately, how do we remember this, this postseason? I think that it's 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 a weird dichotomy between the two because I think the season was very memorable uh, with some records, with some things we hadn't seen, with the rules changes early and everyone adjusting to that. But ultimately, Michael, how do we view this this postseason this year? A legend versus a rookie is what I would say. Um, you, you look at what Bruce Bochy's doing, and I think what it does for the game is remarkable. You, you think about all the analytics and I, I was just doing a little bit of research before he came on and Texas won the cyber matrix offensive plus plus category. However, they deem it. That means OPS. That means, uh, on base percentage, slugging average power, everything. They led in almost every category when it comes to offense this year, especially in the American league, but they still have an old school manager. They still have an old school approach early in the year. They were just remarkable, even losing their best player. And then late in the season, they fell off. I mean, completely just off a cliff, lose the division to the Astros. But all of a sudden, Bruce Bochy's approach and the way he manages really starts to shine in the postseason, letting guys go a little bit longer when they're out there pitching as starters because knowing the bullpen, which he's relied on a ton in the past to win World Series, he's also done that too. He's really pick and choose the right things over and over again that shows that baseball has that gut feel. It's not all about analytics and cyber matrix. It's it's actually about the human being. And we've talked about that a lot on this show. And I think Bruce Boshi is showing how incredible it can be. And I think the young side of this too, the, the rookie manager on the other side with the Diamondbacks, he's done an incredible job of trusting what he sees and balancing out. And I think that's what baseball needs right now. It doesn't need to lose all the feel of what the human is. Michael, how, how does a manager or a great coach bounce around that often if he's this great? Honestly, I, I think it's a revolving door of baseball. It, it, I think sometimes, and I know stories, and I'll use Dusty Baker as an example. Yeah, yeah. We beat them in 2013 in the wild card. He ended up getting fired. He had one of the best records in all of baseball, and he ended up in the wild card game. They did not hit. One game they didn't hit, but also their stud pitcher in Cueto didn't throw the best game of his life. Dusty Baker gets fired and nobody really talked about why did this guy get fired? He has won almost every year over the last five seasons, one of the best teams in the national league. It's because he stood up for one of his guys. And I think that's where the difference is in today's game. You, you, you're hiring a bunch of yes men around you or yes women instead of at the end of the day, what's going to put the best product on the field, the best opportunity to win. And that's all that should matter. And I, I really believe with my heart of hearts, you bet on the human being, and you're better off. You know, a lot of times we try to bet on, oh, this guy's projections, this guy's floor, this guy's ceilings. The reality of it is, if he doesn't care and he doesn't do the things he needs to do at home, it doesn't matter what we think his floor or ceiling is. He's going to prove it in his actions. How, how much of it, too, can be just the era of uh, the bridge between old school, new school, analytics, who has the ear of the decision makers, and the old school approach of, I've gotten here doing it this way, I don't have to look at this sheet of paper from some 25-year-old to tell me how to uh, overanalyze a game or what I should do in the sixth inning with a, a with a relief pitcher. 
I think there has to be a balance to it. And I think the best teams, and I bring up the Braves all the time. I think they have one of the best staffs in all of baseball because they have old school guys that have taken a liking to the new school approach and are willing to have conversations and adapt and try to find the best ways to win on any given day. Because sometimes it is a, a gut feel or an eye test that you see that, Hey, Max Scherzer's stuff looks great. Let's keep him out there. We should maybe extend that pitch count, but also go talk to him, mm. right? He's been yeah. around for over a decade. You figure it out. Like Valdi's pitching tonight, Zach Gallion for the other team. These guys have been workhorses. They've been studs. Both have stepped up after their team have lost or in big games. You have to trust what you see. And also, you know, the guy that's actually out there doing it. How do you feel? What's going on? And you know that these guys, and I know both these guys, one of them better than the other. And Evaldi, Evaldi wants the ball. He's never going to let it go. He's not going to tell you the truth because he wants to be the guy because he wants to live and die, put his team on his back. So you have to balance that out, understand that personality, and pick and choose the right thing to do at the right moment. I realize that fans ultimately just want to see their team win, but do fans <laughs> deserve more than a bullpen game for a World Series? I think they need a better explanation of why. And if you look at what Tampa Bay, or excuse me, Tampa Bay, the Diamondbacks have been able to do all year, it's been on the back of their bullpen. I mean, they've had a yeah. couple good starters. They've had guys that have been able to step in, but that was their best chance to win that baseball game by analytical standards, by managerial standards. You just look at it and say, this is their best opportunity. We're going to trust our defense and hope that our guys can go in and do their thing. Now, once again, we've seen in the playoffs so many times when they brought starters out of the bullpen, when they've put relievers in different situations that they've never done. It doesn't seem to work out. That's why I believe playoff baseball should be year round. You should go out and try to win every single game on any given day. It's tough when it's 162, but when you play the game like that, those guys are ready for it. I don't think those relievers that are used to pitching in the seventh and eighth are throwing in the first and second. So for, you know, you're a part of a, a broadcast with a major league baseball team, Rob Manfred, after having to take over two teams this past season, says the Major League Baseball can handle up to 16 teams broadcast throughout the year. Um, let's try to tell the future here a little bit. Let's get your crystal ball out, being inside of this. What do you think the future of Major League Baseball broadcast holds for everyone? Maybe not next year, five years from now, ten years from now. Where do you think all this is headed? Uh, the place MLB wants it to head and that's into their pockets and that's into their realm. I mean, they want to control everything. I mean, even down to youth sports away from the it, regional sports network. Absolutely. Where which they're I think the ones is a, carrying everything or, or positioning it with one big streamer or whatever it may be. Right. Correct. And okay. let's put that in perspective for you guys. Right. So you guys have a, a staff there. You have producers, you have editors, you have writers, you have a little bit of everything going on. Well, when MLB comes in, some of those people will get jobs. Some of them won't. And they'll be pushed out. And the local side of what these regions do die. You know, we do inside Pirates baseball. I, I'm sure the Titans do a bunch of different stuff that are locally organized. They're really focused on the small business. They're focused on maybe the charity work that's done within the community. That's all going to die. So I feel like that's going to really hurt the opportunity for fans to get to know the players, which is ultimately going to grow the game. Because MLB, yes, they can take on the broadcast. They can't take on the inside Pirates baseball, the lunches, all the charity work, the walks that uh, guys do. They're only going to get a snippet of that. So now you're going to have other services trying to do that. So you're going to have fans losing eyes. I know it worked in the Diamondbacks. I know it worked with San Diego Padres. But listen, the Padres have been at the top for years. And the Diamondbacks, they won. Of course, 
their viewing went way up in Pittsburgh. We've been at the top every single year in, in Colorado. They're at the top every single year. The region's always doing well. MLB wants to get their nabs on it so they can stream. And that's what it's all about. And they can give those rights to the regional networks or partner with them and make it work just as well or better. Um, I would want the, I, I would want the version of what Arizona and San Diego are, are doing. Um, why, why aren't other owners, other teams going that direction instead of just leaning on MLB for however long? Because eventually, I mean, to me, MLB would make sense to want to keep doing this from the, you know, the MLB app or partnering with whoever from the digital space. I would want it in-house if I'm the individual owner. I don't hear a lot of sentiment about that. Yeah, I think MLB teaming up with the owners and a regional network makes more sense to me. You're going to get more content. Content is king in this in this reality. And you can start bringing on different likes of whether it's writers, whether it's podcasting, and really give the region what they deserve, but also open up that region. You know, it's a shame that if I am living in Tennessee, I can't watch the Pittsburgh Pirates on MLB Network because I'm blacked out. Open up the blackouts give people an opportunity to pay for what they want. And I think things will get a lot better because I'm with you. I think eventually MLB is going to take over most of these uh, teams. I never think they're going to get into these huge markets in LA and New York because they're making way too much money and they can sustain it. So why give MLB more of the opportunity to take that? But if MLB continues to tighten the cuffs and not allow these regional networks, not allow these huge markets to open up and, and get into Japan, get into different places where teams are going to want to watch Otani, right? Yes. They're going to want to see the pre and post game. They're going to want to see those things. That's money in their pockets. So it's a fight behind the scenes, more or less for dollars and cents and who should have control the way it should look. And honestly, right now, the regional network is the best, best way to go about it. Maybe three years from now, when they have the new bargaining agreement, they restructure it, rework it and find out the best deal. But I think short-term deals for the region right now is the best way to go. And then MLB can slowly work their hands in from two to 16 teams is too much. I don't want to sound like too much of an alarmist here. We knew the ratings were going to be down with these two franchises in a World Series, but game one, at least, the worst World Series rating uh, on record, worse than the 2020 uh, pandemic World Series. Michael, what do you think about trying to avoid football at all costs with these games? You know, they started on a Friday night, which is not a great night for television to start, but running games right up against college football or the NFL, tonight's no problem, right? On a Wednesday night, Tuesday night, no problem. Uh, what do you think about Major League Baseball just outright declaring we can't win this battle with our premier series of the year going head-to-head -head with any football? So we'll sprinkle in the schedule and make it work where most of the games or maybe all but one is happening on a night that you're not getting a lot of football. Yeah, I think that'd be brilliant. And I think it'd be even smarter to open up Pandora's box during the postseason. See how far and widespread you can get eyes. You know, open it up overseas as much as you can. I mean, the way baseball is growing comparative to other sports in, in other countries is remarkable. I mean, what it's doing in Japan, China, Taiwan, South Korea, all these places, it is booming. And we just actually drafted our first Indian-born player in the top 10 this year. If he takes off, that's going to bring a huge, huge amount of eyes into MLB, a completely different network that's mostly cricket-based. So you're talking about 
changing the landscape of maybe what you do during a time you're competing with NHL, NFL, uh, NCAA. It, it's just almost impossible to be able to handle all that with all the ability to look at different elements. You have, you have X, you have Instagram, you have tons of places to get your content. And that's what they're competing with, with two smaller market teams, Texas being kind of that mid range, but it is very tough for them to compete with NFL or especially NCAA football. Mookie Betts says uh, he's in favor of Trevor Bauer getting back mm -hmm. to, to MLB. Um, it, do you think MLB's in favor of this? Uh, Rob Manford, no. MLB, no, because they have still not said, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. I made a mistake, and we punished you and made you guilty before we even understood everything that went, went on, and that's the arbitration way in MLB. They have more votes. There's 12 seats. They have eight of the votes, so... Almost any rule that's ever going to be made, anybody that gets in trouble, new balls, sticky stuff, doesn't matter. MLB has a complete, complete hierarchy system over that entire way. So I, I believe an apology at some point would be nice. I know it's probably not going to come because they never admit when they're wrong. And then somebody needs to sign Trevor Bauer. Uh, I think you think about a top 10 pitcher in the league. Uh, he's probably a top five free agent. If you, if you look at the free agency market going into 2024, it'd be mind boggling if somebody doesn't take a chance. And if nobody does, I hope the pirates do. And he comes here and just absolutely wears out the league and then signs that huge deal. Because once you prove it, it's over. And he's done really, really well over in, in Japan. He's kept his hands clean. He's been really smart about his brand. And I'm really excited to see where the future holds for him. And I just hope it's not in Japan. Fort, we've got exactly 15 seconds here. Um, the Rangers put it away tonight. I, I believe they do. I, I, I They've homered in almost every game they've played this postseason, and Zach Gallion has just not pitched well, and Evaldi's pitched incredibly well in these situations. Fort, you're the man. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you, guys. God bless. Same to you. Same Michael to you. McHenry has been our guest, a former Major League Avoid catcher. football at all costs. That would be my yeah. advice to Major League yeah, Baseball I, in October. I agree. I agree. Just avoid it. We get back to football coming up. Jim Nagy joins us, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're watching us on the Outkick Network, thanks for finding us on X, the one post. Um, I with Hunter Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Well, apparently the one place you can find us now, too, yeah. on X. And this great radio partner. And a great radio partner, yeah. We can find Jim Nagy right now with us, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Man, looking sharp, too, Jim. Now, yeah, we feel always. very underdressed Another big right meeting. Now. Another big meeting this week? A uh, little speaking thing, a little charity thing. Uh, yeah, I'm not, uh, this isn't my normal everyday uh, office attire for sure. Are you the next GM of the Las Vegas Raiders? <laughs> Give the news last night. <laughs> Is that what I'm seeing with this suit? I have not been told that. Okay. No, okay. I, I don't think so. So uh, this is a great segue from the Raiders perspective. How difficult, and I don't know through your career, Jim, if you've been a part of this, but if you make the in-season change like this, what happens with the scouting staff? And what do those guys with the Raiders do knowing that after the draft, they're done? 
Yeah, it's it's a tough situation. Um, I was in something similar in Kansas City where we fired our coach midseason. Um, and then our interim coach, Romeo Cornell, did a really nice job and was kept on as the full-time head guy going into the next year, but never in a situation where a GM um, during the season, never had that. So um, you hate to say it, it might be a little bit of a lame duck situation. And, and I've got some really good friends on that on that Raider staff. Um, one of them worked for us two years ago. One of their, one of their upper level scouts was here a couple of years ago working at the senior bowl. So, um, and, and I worked with Josh McDaniels a long time it, it worked. I think we were together seven years in new England. So I, any kind of turnover like this, I hate, um, this new group, Antonio Pierce is head coach champ. Kelly is the GM. Um, it's just going to, especially in champs case as an interim GM, like what can you really do between now in January when the ownership group is probably going to want to make a decision on what what's going to happen moving forward in the front office. It's going to be hard to leave your mark. Um, so you just hope what you've done up until this point in the, in the two years previous, like your whole body of work, your resume that you've put out there in the building is enough. Better weekend as far as the offensive production, Bo Nix or Lad McConkey? Huh. Both had great weeks. Uh, we uh, obviously couldn't make our minds up here at the Senior Bowl. We named them both Offensive Player of the Week. So we uh, rode the fence and made them co-Offensive Players of the Week. Bo has been good all year, uh, but to go on the road in Rice Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake, tough place to play, really good youth defense, um, to do what he did. Um, and it wasn't just statistically. It was some of the plays he made under duress. You know, they put a lot of heat on him. And uh, – just him improvising. He, he kind of went back to like Auburn mode. Uh, Bo Nix on a couple of those where he's just freelancing out there playing Sandlot ball. But uh, unbelievable game. Kind of a, you know, for people that watch that game out west, kind of a Heisman type moment, really. I wish the rest of the country had seen it. And then Lad McConkey, we all wondered, like, what what's Georgia going to do without uh, Brock Bowers in there? Well, they're going to go to Lad McConkey. So um, put him in the slot, work the middle of the field with Lad instead of uh, Brock Bowers. And and he is a phenomenal player. Um, I know the league, you know, we're on these calls right now with NFL teams kind of comparing notes for this year's senior bowl group. And uh, man, Lad McConkey, there's a lot of fans in the National Football League. I, I would have a hard time seeing him get out of the third round right now. And uh, just a really good route runner. He is going to be he's going to be Carson Beck's go to guy the rest of the way. There's no doubt about that. Jim, it's an interesting senior quarterback game in Lexington uh, this week between Joe Milton and Devin Leary. Devin Leary has not played great. The passing offense hasn't been good, but he looked terrific against Tennessee. I thought Joe Milton was sort of the best version of himself in that game with his efficiency and the way he also mixed the run in uh, with the offense. What did you make of both of those quarterbacks and what turned out to be a big road win for Tennessee? Yeah, I didn't see the Kentucky side yet. I did watch Joe um, in really well-called game, really well-called game offensively. I thought Joe handled it. Like you said, the word efficient, probably. Um, and that's that's usually not a word where that we would tie in with, with Joe Milton all the time. Uh, but he was efficient and he made good decisions and he was accurate with the football, like really played a steady game. Like maybe not as many wow moments, but just good quarterback play, good solid quarterback play. So um, the more games he can stack like that here, we, we got a month left in the season, you know, whatever it is, four or five games, bowl game. Um, it's going to help Joe. But because uh, everyone knows what the physical tools are. Um, they're some of the best in this class. It's just like getting that efficiency out of them and in the decision-making. And um, he was good. He was really good. Texas A&M stacked with talent. They've got some ballers on defense. What have you noticed from the Aggies 
with uh, Cooper and Diggs and Jackson. Yeah, uh, DJ Durkin, give him credit. Their defensive coordinator at a and has done a really nice job. You know, Edron Cooper is an off-the-ball linebacker in this year's draft. Uh, like most of these guys, they have another COVID year to use if they want to. Uh, you know, and I'll say this about Edron. Like every Sunday morning, my routine is to wake up, get on the ESPN app, scroll through all the box scores, see who was productive on paper. Um, and then we get together as a staff and we watch the tape. Like we got to name these players of the week. We don't want to just do that off stats. So um, Cooper had a couple games earlier this year that looked great on the stat line, couple sacks, TFLs. And then you watch the tape and it was like, man, it's not, that's, that wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Mm. And I, I, I was watching the TV copy of it uh, this week and the commentators made mention of DJ Durkin pulling Edron Cooper aside and really having a heart to heart with him about, you know, his play style and being more urgent. And uh, man, it, it obviously resonated like the last three weeks, Edron Cooper's playing at a totally different level. Um, again, getting off these calls with NFL teams. I mean, he's played his way probably into being a day two draft pick, which you wouldn't have said that a month ago. So, uh, yeah, McKinley Jackson doesn't get a lot of hype as a defensive lineman, um, but a really explosive player. Fadil Diggs was our stock up player this, at, here at the Senior Bowl this week. Had a couple TFLs in a sack, you know, six, four and a half, 230, 240 pound guy that's athletic. Um, so they got some dudes on that defense. They really do. That was uh, that was an impressive performance. Hey, Jim, I was, I was drawn into a, a post you had on X during the Monday night football game with the Lions and the Raiders about Brad Holmes, their GM. He got his start, I think, as a PR intern, and you posted something about your experience. And at the time when you were coming up, that was the route to get into a front office. What, what can you tell us about that shared experience? Yeah, I never knew that about Brad. We've known each other a long time, crossed paths on the road a long, long time. The, the Lions coached in the Senior Bowl a couple of years ago, so I spent a week down here with Brad. Actually, just saw him a couple of weeks ago up at Auburn. Uh, he was at the Auburn-Georgia game, so you know I consider Brad a friend. I just didn't know that about his background. So yeah, when I was coming out of, of college in the mid-90s, um, you know, my goal from the time I was a little kid, my lifelong dream was to work in the NFL. Uh, my dad was a high school coach, so I grew up around the sport, played it in high school, but really just had a one track mind to work in the NFL. And the only opportunities back in the day was through PR. There was no scouting internships. There was no, I mean, every team has three, four scouting assistants. Now, none of those opportunities existed back then. So your only foot was through PR. So I know there's been coaches like Brian Billick, Eric Mangini, some of those guys I've known, no, I've known of those names. Um, and there's been some guys on the personnel side too. I just didn't know that about Brad. So um, that was, that was me, Green Bay Packers, 1996 PR intern. Um, very fortunate to be on a staff with like six guys that were future GMs and, uh, you know, made a connection with those guys, worked, worked hard. And like anything in life, you, you work hard and, and you meet the right people. Good things happen. So uh, it was cool. That was cool to see about Brad. I'd never known that. I want to spend some time on Will Levis in a moment. But uh, before that, give me a minute or so your thoughts on Aiden O'Connell, who is now stepping in as the starter for the Raiders and uh, what we should expect, given the fact we haven't seen much of him. Yeah, so, you know, we invited six quarterbacks to the Senior Bowl last year. Aiden was the seventh guy. Um, you know, the the, the the decision there was either bring in a, a guy from a Power 5 school like Purdue who'd played a ton of football, or do we bring this Tyson Bajant guy from Shepard, D2 school that nobody would seen before against good competition. So we went with Tyson. We liked Aiden. Uh, really liked the person, liked the makeup. Uh, got to meet him at the Manning camp the summer before. 
Liked his accuracy. Uh, really liked that. Uh, the only thing it struggled with mobility part inability to get away from pressure. So um, that would be something if I was a Raiders fan, I'd be looking into. I know he got heated up in that first that first start he had against the Chargers. I think I think Khalil Mack sacked him five or six times. So um, that was that was my big picture concern with the player lack of mobility. Uh, but certainly smart, great character, accurate. Uh, so there's something to build with for and, sure. It will, I'll, I'll be interested to see how it goes. Yeah, same here. D- does Tyson Bajan get the invite if Stetson Bennett decides to show up? Yeah, he was already invited. Okay. Yeah, he was he, he was invited. Um, you know, the Stetson Bennett spot came because of Will Levis. We thought we were going to get Levis, and then uh, we kind of played that out as far as we could go. He had a foot injury, and that's why he couldn't come. It wasn't like he opted out. He just he didn't feel like he could push off his foot. Um, and that's when we circled to to Stetson. How about the arm strength that was on full display this past Sunday with the four touchdown passes by Levis uh, against the Falcons defense and uh, putting on a show that doesn't seem to slow down as, as far as the opportunity moving forward. They'll start again tomorrow night, yes, but once you put the young guy in, you don't really go away from it if you feel like he's the future, do you? No, you got now that you made that switch from Malik Willis, um, you're probably going with him. And and again, it would, I, I was asked on another interview earlier today about Will Levis and man, what, what it would have been to have him down here in mobile. And I, I said, selfishly as a fan, like I would have loved to have seen that guy throw for three days in practice and out there in the game, he can really chuck it. Uh, we all knew that, right? I mean, he had one of the strongest arms in the draft. He can really muscle it down the field. Um, really a, a really good fastball thrower. I think the question coming out with Will was, with some of the touch throws and man, I thought some of those downfield throws the other day, um, really Fantastic. good trajectory. Yes. Yeah. Better, better, better than, better than he showed at Kentucky. So, um, that was a great first start. Not many rookies, uh, throw four TDs in their first game. Can, can you tell that working with offensive coordinators at Kentucky from the, from the league benefited him? Is there a specific area where you're like, Oh, that, that makes sense with Liam Cohen. Um, you know, usually it's just, you know, again, Will, I, I know this. So, you know, Will didn't have a lot of personal quarterback coaching. He and I talked about that at the Manning camp the way year he was down there. He's not one of these guys that has been groomed from the time he was, you know, in, in fifth grade to be an NFL quarterback. So there were some mechanical things early in his career at Kentucky footwork, you know, just in his drop sequence that needed to be cleaned up. And I think you can see some of that. I think they, they did a good job there, you know, the last couple of years of Kentucky cleaning some of that stuff up. But I just think his exposure to uh to nfl concepts you know because they uh i'm blanking on the oc they had there last year you know came from the nfl rich uh i'm blanking now scarangelo scarangelo yeah Yeah, that's it there you go well done there you go that's a good pull yeah thanks for covering for me good pull um you know he was coming from the nfl as well so he was exposed to a lot of nfl coaching It, it can only help and will's a smart guy will's a really smart guy so it didn't surprise me that will was up to speed on the playbook um, we knew coming out he was a, a really sharp guy. Final minute. I still said it as a question, though. Oh, name, oh, it came to my head, and I'm like, Scarangelo? Yeah, question mark? But I, I got it right somehow. Final minute here, Jim. Um, how eager are you to watch Bama LSU? Can't wait. Um, that is the game every year, scout circle on the calendar. I don't care what year it is. That is going to be the game that, that really showcases the most NFL talent year in and year out on the field. The hard part is like figuring where to train your eyes when you're at the game. Like, what am I, what matchup am I watching here? Um, it can be difficult. I just, I remember 
this game, whatever that was now, four or five years ago, the Joe Burrow senior year game oh, yeah. uh, with, with all those dudes at LSU and the Bama defense. I mean, there's been some classic matchups, but this is, this is the game. I haven't asked the uh, SIDs up there in Alabama what that press box uh, seating chart looks like, but I know there you're probably going to have about all 32 teams represented. I'll be up there. Um, it should be a really cool atmosphere. Yeah. Should be down the sideline with su- uh, sunglasses on at night, Connor Stallion style. Yeah, down there, Jim. That's where that's where you belong in team gear. Yep. <laughs> hey, uh, appreciate it as always, man. Uh, thanks for making time today, and we will catch up soon. Enjoy the college football weekend. Awesome, guys. Good to be back on. Have a great weekend, yeah, man. There's thanks, Jim, Jim Maggie. Always great. Love the perspective there on uh, Will Levis with the didn't have yeah. a private quarterback coach. You know, just the background there. Intriguing. Yeah. He did. Certainly didn't look like he needed I mean, like he, he looked it. like Aaron Rodgers for <laughs> one game. Yeah. The feet were all out of alignment. He was still just throwing darts down the field. Looked perfect. Uh, we get a uh, a great look of two young quarterbacks tomorrow on Thursday Night Football. Levis, Pickett. Can Levis continue that? Big game for both, but especially Kenny Pickett. Yeah, and Canada. Kenny Pickett's a little further Matt along. Canada. Yeah. Kenny Pickett may be calling his own plays before long. <laughs> Blame Canada. Yes. Definitely blame Canada. <laughs> when in uh, doubt, blame Canada. Chad, you'll be tuned into the ninth inning tonight, according to Michael McHenry. Well, as long as they're ahead it. or That's it's tied. Yeah. I mean, if, if the Diamondbacks are winning, probably not going to tune in again. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Chad kicks off the weekend. We've got the Thursday fall of the edition. House of Usher to watch tonight. Too. 3 to 6 p.m. Big Hope priorities. you'll join us right here on the Outkick Network.